Good morning. Welcome to our new six-week series. We are looking at this subject right here, Seeking God for a Breakthrough. In a recent experiment, rats were given a defined area to explore. In other words, it was a glass clear box with an obstacle course. And in that defined area with an obstacle course for these rats in this experiment, um, there was a button. And in this button, if they engaged the button, the rats would receive a mild electric shock. I would have turned up the voltage, but they just had a mild electric shock to the rat. Despite the rats not liking being electrocuted, electrocuted, excuse me, guess what the rats would do? They would repeatedly go back to the button and press it and get a mild electric shock. Over and over and over again they would do this. And the scientists began to discover this fact about the rats, that they were only seeking out their environment for a better chance of survival. That's why they kept going back to the button, because they thought, this time it'll be different. This time it may open up to a, a better chance of survival. And so they constantly went back to this button hoping that things would be different, but every time it was the same, they received a mild shock. Neuroscientist Jack Panksepp, um, he suggests that there are seven core human instincts that we have in our human lives. Seven. Here are four of the seven for you this morning. He said that we have this instinct of anger. There are certain times within our life that we have the instinct to be angry. There are other times when we have the instinct to be uh, fearful, like rats. I would be fearful of them. That's why I would turn up the voltage. But there are times in our life where we are fearful. We have that instinct. Other times when we have panic or grief in our life, it's a natural instinct. We just have that feeling, emotion of panic and grief. And then sometimes we have the instinct of maternal care, to uh, care for the crying baby, to change the diaper, you know, to com be compassionate. Then he says there's three more. There's pleasure and lust. We have that instinct within us as human beings. Um, there's an instinct to play, uh, to goof off, to kind of let your hair down and have some fun. But then there's this instinct of seeking, he writes. And of the seven core instincts that we have as human beings, he says, his opinion is, his professional opinion, is that seeking is the most dominant instinct that we have as human beings. That seeking is the most dominant of all of them instinct that we have as human beings. In a way, just like the lab rats continually was seeking for greater survival, a better chance of surviving, and would continually go to the button and press it to receive a mild electric shock, we too electrocute ourselves in search of a better life. I've noticed this about humanity. I've noticed this about your life and my life. That we all seek what, church? We all seek something. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's sex. Maybe it's comfort. Maybe it's peace. Perhaps it's health, better health. Maybe it's the latest high of intoxication, or maybe it's love, or connection, or a relationship. But we all seek something in this room, and we all seek something of those who are watching online this morning. Even sometimes people will say, well, I'm not seeking anything. Well, I find that that's near impossible, slightly borderline lie, perhaps. Because if you're seeking nothing, you are still seeking something, Right? If you are seeking nothing, you are still seeking something. That something that you're seeking is nothing, but that doesn't exist. 
In our seeking, many of us are unhappy and unsatisfied, which translates into a life that repeatedly finds itself looking fulfillment, looking for fulfillment in the same places over and over and over again. Just like the lab rats, we keep going to this certain area of our life thinking this time it'll be different. This time I press the button, things will open up for me. This is going to be the chance for me. I'm going to do this. And every time we receive a mild or sometimes severe shock in our life. You see, there is a gap between what we seek to experience, because all of us seek something in life, and generally that thing that we are seeking is an experience, is a feeling within our life. We all seek an experience, but there is a discrepancy or a gap between what we actually seek to experience and what we actually receive in our life. So we may seek fortune and want the experience of being a millionaire or billionaire, but in actuality what we may receive is more bills than what we make in our paycheck. And that's our experience. And this becomes the place of challenge for us. It it becomes the place of problems in our life because we are seeking to experience this, but in actuality this is what we receive. And we are disappointed, and there's a whole other bunch of emotions that go along with receiving and it not meeting our expectations or what we're seeking to experience. Mark Batterson wisely offers this advice. He said, you don't need to seek opportunity. All you have to do is seek God. What great advice. You don't need to seek opportunity. All you have to do is seek God, and opportunity will seek you. But we get it all backwards. I just need to seek opportunity. And hopefully in that opportunity, I will seek God. He's saying all we really need to do is seek. Take that basic human instinct that we have to seek and seek God and everything else will take care of itself. In 2 Chronicles, we discover a formula for this problem where we find in chapter 7 these words, and we're going to start at verse 11. So Solomon finished the temple of the Lord as well as the royal palace. And then it goes on to say in verse 11, he completed everything he had planned to do in the construction of the temple and the palace. King Solomon in 2 Chronicles chapter 7 had completed the first permanent building for the Israelites to honor and worship God. Up until this point in their history, they had a place of worship, but it was often a a tent. They would move it from location to location, depending on wherever they were residing, and they just kind of had this removable, tear it down, build it back up kind of place of worship. But this, in their history, is the first permanent place a building where they could worship God. It was located in the city of Jerusalem, and it was built on an elevation plain so that everyone in the city could see. No matter where you went in Jerusalem, you could look upwards and see this temple that Solomon and his workers had completed. In fact, the temple is believed to have been built on the very place where Abraham was called by God to sacrifice his son Isaac. If you remember the Old Testament story, Abraham lifts his knife to pierce the heart of Isaac, his son, when God speaks to him in an audible voice and says, don't do it, even though I asked you to do it. I was just testing you, Abraham. Over in the thicket is a lamb, and go retrieve it, and you will offer a sacrifice for me here. And so Abraham and Isaac walked off of this plain, this high point, which later became the place where they, Solomon built the temple 
for the, for the Israelites to worship God in Jerusalem. The cost of the building in today's currency has been estimated to be about $30 million, so it was quite an extravagant temple or church, if you want to call it that. And most of the imports, I find this ironic, coming out of slavery out of Egypt, most of the products that they, they used to build the temple came from Egypt. You already guessed it. And in the temple, the Jewish people placed the Ark of the Covenant, and in the Ark of the Covenant was the Ten Commandments that God had given Moses. Thousands of workers labored seven years to complete the temple and compared to 13 years to complete the palace that Solomon resided in. And some Bible scholars suggest that 2 Chronicles is a very important chapter and is a very important moment in the life of Solomon and in the life of Israel. Because in this chapter, some Bible scholars believe God was tapping Solomon on the shoulder because Solomon had been guilty of dividing his attention span between the building of the palace and the building of the temple. And God was saying, I need you, Solomon, to focus on me. And I need Israel to focus on me. And this was serving as a warning to them. I would say that little has changed in the course of history. Amen? Because we still love to give our undivided attention to stuff that is ours rather than God's stuff. Perhaps one of the reasons why we constantly need a breakthrough in our life. The completion of the, the permanent temple of God here in Second Chronicles was certainly a bright moment in the history of Israel. And it was a joyous season that God had blessed them. And in this blessing that God had given to them, He shared some words of wisdom and advice. Here they are. Then one night, the Lord appeared to Solomon and said this, I have heard your prayer to Solomon and have chosen this temple as the place for making sacrifices. Then in verse 13, At times I might shut up the heavens so that no rain falls. He goes on to say, God does or command grasshoppers to devour your crops or send plagues among you. And then in verse 14, Then if my people, say this with me church, then if my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves, pray, and seek God, and turn from their wicked ways. I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. Notice the words of God in this passage of Scripture. There is a gap between what we seek to experience in life and what we actually receive in life. These were good days in the life of Israel. The temple was complete. The royal palace was stunning. More stunning than the palace of Queen Elizabeth, former Queen Elizabeth. Prosperity and sunny days were being experienced throughout the land of Israel. These were some of Israel's best days. Many of us seek such an experience for our own life, do we not? Sunny days, especially after Fiona blew through. We're looking for sunny days. We're looking for the, the best days of our life. We're seeking a Brady Bunch family, right? We're seeking Bill Gates' wealth. We're seeking superhero physiques like Spider-Man or Superman or the Incredible Hulk. We're, we're seeking Einstein's knowledge and the former queen's popularity. We desperately seek these things. I hear them in people's language all the time. I wish I had more friends. I wish I had more money. 
I wish I had the perfect family. I wish my body was a different shape. I wish that I was just a little smarter than what I am. However, what we actually receive is far, 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 you tired of that now? Far from what we seek to experience. What we receive is certainly a long ways away from what we seek to experience. It is in those moments that we seek God for a breakthrough, I hope. A divine intervention, a divine help within our life. The solution, we discovered it, is in 2 Chronicles. God says to Solomon, if my people will call by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, what does God promise to do? I will hear and I will see and I will forgive their sins and restore their lands. It is a powerful truth that resonates with every God-fearing person since Solomon first heard those words from God. Every generation since Solomon hearing those words from God, we get it. I believe Scott Saul summarizes what God communicated in 2 Chronicles chapter 7 with these words. I think he, he summarizes it very well. Afflicted does not mean ineffective and damaged does not mean done. Just because things did not go the way that we were seeking them to go and we actually received something completely different than what we were seeking does not mean it's over. It does not mean that you stick a fork in yourself and roll over and say, I'm done. It's over. I throw up my hands. I give up. It does not mean that you are ineffective. It only means that you didn't achieve your dreams, your wishes, your desires, your selfishness. It doesn't mean that God is not done with you. Amen? That's a hope-filled message. If the refreshing rain has not fallen on your dusty and dry life, there is hope according to 2 Chronicles chapter 7. Amen? Because God said there are times when I will prevent the heavens from raining down rain on the ground. In those moments, what does God say? When your dry, dusty body needs the blessings of God and the rain of God from heaven, you, my people, should do what? Humble yourselves, seek and pray to me, and confess and turn away from your wicked ways, and I will see you, and I will hear you, and I will heal and restore you. Isn't that good news this morning? If our life is dry and dusty, if the grasshoppers have, a de have has devoured everything that you're, and you're standing in the middle of your empty life and you're hungry and distressed because there is no crop to harvest and you're going, the locusts and the, and the uh, grasshoppers have destroyed everything. I don't have anything left and winter is coming. There is hope in that moment because God told Solomon, tell the people of Israel right on down to our generation that if my people humble themselves, Pray and seek to me. Turn from their ways. I will see them and I will hear them. If plagues have struck your life and you are covered in boils and open sores and there is pus running everywhere and you're screaming, for God, take me home. I don't want this anymore. There is hope, amen? If my people will humble themselves and will pray and seek and turn from their ways, I will see and hear their prayers, and I will heal and restore that which is lost. A breakthrough is possible this morning for every one of us in this room. Amen? 
And a breakthrough is possible for everyone who's watching online this morning too. The formula for this breakthrough in our life is simplistic. I love simplistic formulas. Maybe you don't. Maybe you're a math whiz and you like the complicated algebra math equations. This formula is simplistic, but the application is extremely difficult. Here's the formula for a breakthrough in our life. If God's people will be what, church? Humble, pray, seek, and change, God will do what? Hear and act. It's a simplistic, I mean, it's as as simplistic formula as you get. All you need to do is humble yourselves. All you need to do is pray and seek and change your ways, and God will hear and He will act in your life. He will do a breakthrough in your life. He will come through for you. It is a simplistic formula, but to live it out is difficult, is it not? Because many of us struggle with humility and humbling ourselves. Many of us struggle with praying to God. And many of us struggle with seeking out God's will for our life. And many of us do not want to change our ways and turn away from anything that we have created with our own hands. We want God to hear us and act in our life, but we don't want to humble, pray, and seek and change our life. But God does not hear an act unless we do what, church? Humble ourselves. Pray and seek and change. If anyone is in need of a spiritual breakthrough, the formula is simple this morning, but the application is extremely difficult because it involves four things. That we must be humble, that we must pray, and that we must seek, and we must change and turn from our wicked ways. From Second Chronicles chapter. Uh, 7 verse 14 there are three strategies for having a breakthrough in your life i want to share them with you this morning first of all admitting you have uh, excuse excuse me admitting you need a breakthrough say that with me church admitting i need a breakthrough admitting is the first step i'm not sharing any new truth this morning you already know that that if you've been around church long enough, or if you've been around some recovery, recovery program long enough, you know that admitting is the first step to recovery. Admitting is the first step to healing. Admitting is the first step to a better life for ourselves. And admitting is both easy and the most difficult thing that we ever do in our life. I like this word from Erwin Lutzer who said, forgiveness is always free. Amen for that one. But that doesn't mean that confession is always easy. He goes on to say this, sometimes it's hard, incredibly hard. It is painful to admit our sins and entrust ourselves to who? To God's care. It is extremely easy to admit. But it is also extremely difficult to admit because we need to confess and we need to, cha- we need to talk to God. We need to communicate to God and sometimes, and to communicate to other people. And sometimes it's not so easy to entrust our life into God's hands. Admitting we need help is, the, is not the easiest thing to do because it requires humility and it requires honesty on our part. So let me ask you a question this morning. Do you need a God-sized breakthrough in your life? 
Do you need a God-sized breakthrough in your life in a relationship that you may be involved in or perhaps a health concern that you have right now currently or a family matter or the workplace or your bank account or spiritual dryness? Is there some area in your life that right now you go, Pastor, I need a breakthrough in order to receive a breakthrough in that area that you need a breakthrough in, you have to admit that you need a breakthrough. Did you follow that? The first step is admitting that, God, I am like this, and I need Your help. God, I need You to come into my life. I need a breakthrough in the area that I'm struggling in. And I have to be honest with you, God, and I have to be honest with myself, and I have to be honest with other people. I admit humbly that I need your help. There is a fascinating story found in 2 Kings chapter 6 highlighting the importance of admitting the need that we need help. And by admitting the need that we need help, it becomes the gateway to the miraculous. I'll share. Here's the story. It's the most peculiar story you'll probably find in the Old Testament. One day, the group of prophets came to Elisha, who is the main prophet, the major prophet, and told him, as you can see, this place where we meet with you is too small. So we propose a solution. Let's go down to the Jordan River where there are plenty of logs, they proposed, where we can build a new place. Uh, there we can build a new place for us to meet. All right, he told them, go ahead. I'll stay behind. You guys go down to the Jordan River and build this thing. And then in verse 3, please come with us, someone suggested. I will, Elisha said. And then in verse 4, so he went with them. When they arrived at the Jordan, they began cutting down trees. So they're making progress. Trees are going down. They're going to build this thing. And verse 5, but as one of them was cutting a tree, say this with me, church, his axe head fell into the river. Uh-oh, we have a problem. Oh, sir, he cried. This is the prophet in training. It was a borrowed axe. How does the prophet in training react? He admits he's got a problem right away. That's what we see up in the first five verses. We see that they're, they're, they're making progress. Trees are coming down. They're going to build this place where they can gather, where Elisha can teach these minor prophets in training, and, and good things are going to happen here. And then all of a sudden, the axe head falls off, the axe handle, and flies into the Jordan River. I don't know if you've ever had that happen to you. I've had that happen to me occasionally. Not the Jordan River, though. But I prayed as it fell off the end of the axe handle that it didn't pierce my body or someone else's because it is quite a dangerous weapon. But into the Jordan River it fell. And what does he do? He immediately admits he has a problem. He goes, uh-oh, Eli Elisha. We have a problem. I have a problem. I was using the axe and the, and the head came right off and into the Jordan River it went and we don't have it. And some poor farmer that we borrowed this from is going to need it by nightfall and here it is in the Jordan River. What are we going to do? I have a problem. There are a variety of options available when he lost the axe head. He could have quit. He could have said, I'm done with this. This was a stupid idea to begin with. I'm done. I'm leaving. You guys are foolish. It's stupid. The axe head's in the Jordan River. I'm done with you all and walked away. We do this. You know that? When we refuse to admit that we need help in our life, we are in essence just walking away. 
throwing up our hands, saying, this is dumb, this is stupid. I'm not doing this. He could have pretended he still had the axe. He could have puttered around and fuddled around in the trees and the limbs and the branches and pretend like he was holding the axe handle like there was an axe head on the end of it. And he could have pretended that all is good. And some of his buddies could have said, can I borrow the axe for a little bit? Oh no, I still need it. I'm still working on this tree over here, but I'll get it to you eventually. He could have pretended like nothing had ever happened. But he knew right away that he needed help. He knew he had to needed to admit right away that there was a problem. Here's what happened after he admitted. Here's what happened after he admitted that there was a problem. Elisha comes to him and goes, where did it fall? The man of God asked. When he showed him the place, so he took him over to the Jordan River and said, this very spot right here, Elisha cut a stick and threw it in the water And that's at that spot when, say this with me church, when the axe head floated to the surface. I I don't know about if you know anything about tools this morning, but it is impossible for an iron head of an axe to float. It is impossible. But do you see what happened when this young prophet in training said, I have a problem. I've admitted there's a problem. The axe head has fell into the Jordan River. There's a problem here, Elisha. What are we going to do? And Elisha says, go show me where it fell into the river. Throws a stick on the water and a miraculous thing happens. The axe head floated to the surface. When we admit that we need God's help, He does the impossible, friends. He makes axe heads float to the surface. And then he does this in verse 7. Grab it, Elisha said. And the man reached out and grabbed the axe head from the Jordan River floating there and puts it back on the tool and away they go. It's the most peculiar story you'll find in the Old Testament. But it teaches us one thing, that if we admit that we need the help of God, when we admit that we need God's help, He always shows up. Always. The miraculous happened through the doorway of admission, admitting that he needed help. There's another step in achieving a breakthrough in our life, and it's this one right here, praying and seeking God for a breakthrough. So we're following along here in 2 Chronicles, this advice that God gives to Solomon. God was clear to Solomon, if you pray and seek, I will hear and see. If you pray and seek, I will see and hear. Something amazing happens when we begin to pray to God. When we begin to seek God, something amazing begins to happen within our life. It is through prayer that we begin to discover who we are and who God is and what God can do in our life and what our purpose is and what God is going to do through us for His kingdom here on earth. We begin to see this picture and vision that God gives to us, but it only comes through prayer and seeking God. The message from God, from Solomon, was in a moment of what? A moment of prayer. Solomon was praying. And in his prayer, God spoke to him. If my people who will humble themselves and pray and seek me and turn from their ways, I will restore and heal them. Jesus offers similar advice in Matthew chapter 6, verses 31, 32, and 33. So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? 
In verse 32, these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Say that with me. Heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Before you even seek God and before you even pray to God, God already knows what? He already knows what you need. So some of you are thinking, well, why should I even pray or seek God if He already knows what I need? What's the, what's the point of praying and seeking God? Just do it. And you have a valid point. But there is a process of praying and seeking God where we pour out ourselves and we empty ourselves of ourself and we allow God to move in and through us. It is through that process of praying and seeking Him. God is not some candy dispensing machine that you put money into and He gives it to you. There is a process. If my people will humble themselves and what? Pray and seek Me. Pray and seek Me. God wants us to get to know Him, to understand Him, to hear from Him. And that only happens when we pray and seek God. Even though He already knows what we need, He wants you to say what you need because that's part of the admitting part. God, I need You. I desperately need You to move in my life. And then in verse 33, we find Jesus saying this. Say it with me, church. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and He will give you he will give you everything you need. Pray and seek God. He has everything we need. Amen? So if He has everything that we need, and He already knows what we need, then why are we fighting praying and seeking God? Because we know the results. We shouldn't be fighting God. Pray and seek Him because He knows what we need. There is a final step in achieving a breakthrough, and it's this one right here. Number three, turning to God for a breakthrough. Say it with me, church. Turning to God for a breakthrough. God is very direct in His instructions to Solomon. He is very direct in His instructions to Israel and all who worship in the temple. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. Restoration, restoration comes through turning away from the experiences that we seek. Restoration comes through turning away from the death that sin creates in our life. It, restoration comes to our life by turning away from the desires that we have and turning towards the desires that God has for our life. That God would break through our life with His purpose, with His grace, with His mercy, with His purpose for our life. There is hope this morning. Amen? There is hope for everyone who turns towards God and turns away from the things of our life. It's a beautiful picture that we find in the book of Romans chapter 8. We find Paul writing here in 35, 36, 37. The worship team read it for you this morning already. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Good question. Does it mean He no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity? Absolutely not. Or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? In verse 36, as the Scriptures say, 
for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. And then in verse 37, no, despite all these things, say this with me, church, overwhelming victory is yours through Christ who loved us. Overwhelming victory. I, I like how Paul doesn't just say victory, but he kind of adds to it by saying overwhelming victory is for who? Us. Every one of us in this room, everyone watching online this morning, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ Jesus. Similar words were given to Solomon from God in chapter 7, verse 14, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. It is a tremendous promise this morning for anyone seeking God for a breakthrough. Are you in need of a breakthrough in your life? Ravensbrück was a dreaded Nazi concentration camp where less than half of the population ever survived that camp. Staggering death numbers. Lice and fleas and disease and moldy bread and hard labor and strip searches and suffocating living conditions choked out hope. Everywhere but in barracks number 28. Unhindered by guards who would not go in barracks 28 because the fleas were so thick they didn't want to be to have a flea on them. So they left whoever was in barracks 38 by themselves because they, they would never go in there. And so the prisoners in barracks 38 would, would sing hymns and read Scripture. In the hiding place, Corey Timboom describes how God's Word sustained her life and all of those lives in barracks 28 during World War II. She said, I would look as my sister Betsy would read the Word of God, especially from the book of Romans chapter 8, and I would watch as the light of God would go from face to face to face. Where they would sit there in the dark and they would begin to think. And Corey Tim Boom said, we are more than conquerors. We are more than conquerors not we shall be, but we are. In the face of death in a concentration camp clinging to the promises of God, they needed a breakthrough from God and they were believing that they were more than conquerors, not that they shall be, but that they are more than conquerors. I want to tell you this morning, church, and those who are watching online, we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. Amen. He came to this planet to die on the cross he grows again three days later he sits at the right hand of god the father and intercedes on our behalf when we cry out in the name of jesus he's interceding on our behalf why would god do that why would jesus do that so that we could live in spiritual victory so that we could have breakthroughs in our life when relationships go awry when our finances dry up when we don't know where we're going to be the next day god will show up if my people, he said, will humble themselves and pray and seek and turn from their wicked ways. I will hear and see them and I will restore that which was broken and I will restore and bring healing to that which is wounded. We need a breakthrough, amen? Do you feel like a lab rat that keeps pressing the button and all you're getting is an electric shock? And yet you keep pressing the button, hoping that this time it will be different. This time the door will open. This time things will be different. But every time you get the shock of your life, 
you need a breakthrough in a relationship? Do you need a breakthrough in your finances? Do you need a breakthrough in your dry and dusty life spiritually? Do you need a breakthrough in health? Do you need a breakthrough emotionally? Do you need a breakthrough this morning? There is good news. God said to Solomon, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. It's such a simple formula. Admit, pray, seek, turn, and God will do the rest. Forgive and restore. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes this morning? If you're watching online, I would encourage you to do the same this morning. Some of the staff would know this, but many of you would not be privy to this information. For about four weeks, I felt God stirring in my spirit. He has led us to this six-week series because He has led me to believe that there are many, 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 many who need a breakthrough. Who are in the mundane. Who have maybe fallen asleep. Who are struggling with recent health issues struggling with relationship breakups, struggling with a whole bunch of stuff, and you desperately need God to come through in a powerful, supernatural way. We are seeking God in the next six weeks that He will show up in a powerful way, that He will move His Holy Spirit, and that He would show us that if we humble ourselves and we pray and seek Him and turn from our ways, that He would heal and restore. This morning, there are some in this room who need a breakthrough. You know you need a breakthrough. You already know what I'm talking about. Others of you will need a few more weeks of processing. But if in your spirit right now, you're feeling the Holy Spirit saying, yes, I need a breakthrough. Come Holy Spirit and give me that breakthrough. I'd encourage you by faith to stand up, something that we don't normally do here at New Hope, and walk to the front here in front of the stage. And we will pray for you this morning that God would show up in your life in a miraculous way. If you're watching online this morning, there's a text number. We'd encourage you to text that number. We'll pray for you as you're seeking God for a spiritual breakthrough. Text that number. We'll pray for you right now. If you need a breakthrough, now is the moment. If my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their ways. I will hear them from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore them. Anyone else need a breakthrough this morning? 
before I pray. If, if you feel God tugging at your heart this morning to pray for someone, there's lots of people to pray for. Just come. You don't need the counsel. All you need to do is put your hand on someone's shoulder and pray for them. Just slip out of your seat, those of you who could pray. Father God, we thank you for your truth this morning. We thank you for your love. We know that those who are standing here in front, those who have already texted, pray for me, I need a breakthrough, that they, every one of us need a breakthrough, including myself, God, because I've sensed this in my own spirit. That I need you to move in my life. From the mundane things to lift my head above those things and to keep my eyes on you and God that you as I humble myself and as I pray and seek you and as I turn from my ways Lord, that you would hear my prayers and bring hope and grace and vision for those who are standing here this morning, I pray that you would do the same for them. That as we seek you, O oh God, as we come to you, as we admit this morning, that's what we're doing by standing here. We're admitting that we need your help, God. That we can no longer do it on our own. We no longer want to do it on our own. We need you to come in a powerful way to move in our life. We surrender ourselves. We lay ourselves down at your feet this morning, Jesus. Admitting we are nothing and you are everything as we seek and pray over the days and weeks and months to come, as we long for more of you, God, that you would pour out a fresh, new pouring of your Holy Spirit. You would draw us closer to you and that you would come through in that relationship, that you would come through for that bank account, that you, oh God, in a miraculous way, like you brought an axe head from the bottom of the Jordan River to the top, you would do those kind of miracles in the lives of those who are standing here admitting they need your help. We pray this. We believe this. And we trust in you, our mighty God, as we continue to worship you and follow in your footsteps. We lay down our burdens and we know that you have our best interest in hand and that we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus who loves us. In your name we pray.